Thank you. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, love that. Thank you so much, Ted. If I could, if I could, I would hire him to just follow me around. <laughs> then my every move would be dramatic. And <laughs> You're picturing it, right? I open the door into a room. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. It's such a joy and an honor and a privilege for me um, uh, to be here on this day with uh, these wonderful young people. I want to uh, officially extend you all a very warm welcome on behalf of the uh, Bonita Valley, Bonita Church community. So let me just tell you uh, why I am so proud and why this day is uh, such a great day of joy for me. Well, for one, uh, Luigi and I go way back in ministry. Um, so uh, just because, because it's the right thing to do, um, many years ago, almost 20 years ago, <laughs> I met Luigi. And I was a young pastor, and I was tasked with growing a youth department that had no music and no, no sounds. And uh, I came to Luigi because he's a music teacher and I said, Luigi, I need, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, would you teach me how to play guitar? Um, he said, no. <laughs> uh, well, he didn't say it, his eyes uh, said it. Um, and he said, well, I have to be honest with you. He says, in all my years, now I don't know if it's true anymore, but in all my years, I've never had once, I've never had an adult student who's ever learned how to play an instrument, he told me. And I was like, well, just give me three lessons. Just give me three lessons. And uh, I made him come over to my house. Well, he didn't know what I was actually doing was just reeling him in. <laughs> but he taught me how to play three chords. And with three chords, we just started playing our first song together. And uh, I'm just so grateful Louis here. And he's... Um, and the fruiting of his hard work and his determination and sharing the gift of, of music is uh, what is blessing our church today because, as um, Elaine pointed out, Alan Maureen and Carita and many, many, many others are blessed by this, this uh, wonderful um, man of God who teaches music to students. Uh, I'm also super excited and super proud and couldn't be, couldn't be prouder because um, Alan and Maureen were just kids when I met them uh, in my previous life as a pastor in Victorville. And I got the chance to journey with them and their families and share many memories. And today to watch them lead and sing and praise just fills the pastor's heart with joy. So you'll forgive me for just enjoying this moment. I'm so glad and so privileged to have you guys with us today. <clears throat> We've been looking forward to this. We made uh, an appointment. They snuck in a few weeks ago and hung out in the back row and scouted you all out. Uh, but we made an appointment. Uh, I said you guys should come because over a year ago, I visited Victorville Church and we played together and were blessed there. I didn't play. I just, you know, I just walked while the piano played and um, uh, it was like, well, that's so cool. So I said, you guys should come visit our church. Okay, so we made a date and it takes, it took over a year and here we are, <laughs> here we are. Uh, but all good things are worth waiting for, amen? Uh, you say that, but I'm not sure that you believe that. How good are you at waiting? How good are you at waiting? How good are you at waiting? See, I think that today's culture and the, the, the time and space in which we live in, waiting is very difficult. It's very difficult. We expect and desire and want things to happen now. That's, we, we, that's why we created and we love and we live in Instagram. Right? 
I heard a preacher talk about how it used to be that you'd take a Polaroid and then you would like rub it on people's heads. Everybody ever do that? You do this thing and you have to wait four or five minutes for something to develop. And obviously before that, it would take a lot longer. But now it's instant. It's Instagram because we love things happening quickly and we want things to happen quickly. So waiting is very, very difficult. And I think that's what's happening in the story that we're about to read today. Someone has been given some information and some news and they're having trouble waiting. I want you to open your Bibles with me because we're here to study the word. Amen. I'm not going to let you get a pass here. There's a, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. So if you're staring at me and you're not moving at all, I'm going to stare you back. At least pretend and look down once in a while. Pretend you're, pretend it's not Instagram. This is like, it's a Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app, get one. There's a free one called the U version of the Bible. It's a fantastic app, free, donated by a church in the Midwest, life.church. And uh, we love it here, and we're grateful for their generosity. So open your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're in the New Testament, third book of the New Testament, the book of Luke. And we began reading here last week and this month of April as we're trying to learn from the Word of God about the person of Jesus Christ as we're moving and we're working and we're walking towards the cross. And just before we get going there, I just want to invite all of you. I'm glad you're here. But I want you to come back. You guys too, by the way. <laughs> Next week here on our campus, we will remember the cross. In detail and in particular. It's Easter weekend all over the nation and people will gather in houses of worship and we want to do that here too. So I'm going to invite you to come back next week and bring your friends. Especially if someone needs to hear uh, from the word of God. Someone who needs encouragement. Someone who needs hope. Someone who needs to see the sacrifice that Jesus made. Bring them back next week as we will together uh, as a community Remember the great sacrifice and celebrate the great gift of Jesus' conviction. But we're working our way there. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke, chapter 1, beginning verse 26, something that we read last week, but just follow along with me if you will. And this is what it says, that in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to, Na to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored, for the Lord is with you. We began our conversation here last week when the angel of God appears to this young woman. And it says, greetings, God has found favor with you. The Lord is with you. And the Bible tells us that Mary said, what? She was greatly troubled. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, wait, what kind of greeting might this be? Because as I warned y'all last week, women, when, when, when a man <laughs> says something nice to you, you better say, what do you want? <laughs> she was greatly troubled at his words. What kind of greeting is this? No one has ever spoken to me this way. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Does anybody like the sound of that? You have found favor with God. And you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. 
The angel comes and he says, you have found favor and you will be with child. That's good news, right? Well, I don't know. She's worried because, well, A, she's the virgin. You remember that part? And she's already engaged. And uh, if your fiancé turns up <laughs> at the engagement party with a nice big belly, you might have some questions. She's already engaged, and the angel says, but no way, you will be with child. And Mary is concerned. How will this be since I am a virgin? But the angel doesn't just say you will be pregnant, you're going to have a baby. The angel says you will have a baby, and your baby will rule forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. He will be called Son of the Most High, and God will give him a throne. Mary said, how can this be? The angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God would overshadow you so that the Holy One that is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Son of God. We mentioned this last week, how uh, mind-boggling the idea is that, that, that she finds out that she's pregnant through no doing of her own or anybody else except for the Holy Spirit. And then she realizes that she's carrying, she will be carrying a child that the Bible describes as the Son of God. Mary is confused. She is concerned. And the angel says, look, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Amen. And Mary said, okay. Mary said, okay, we know the story. We talked about it. We talked about how it would feel uh, for you to carry the expectation of, of bearing, giving birth to the Son of God. We talked about what it might feel like to try to raise a young man in this world with that identity. My son... <laughs> You will have a kingdom and a throne. Now, I know some of y'all, because I know you personally, your parents said a lot of nice things to you because you have the over-brimming cup of confidence uh, on you. And your parents told you all the right things. Others of you didn't get that much love. But can you imagine trying to convince your son that he is the son of God? Son of the Most High. How ridiculous that kind of sounds. But that was Mary's responsibility. And last week we talked about how uh, there was, must have been such immense pressure for her to be a good mom to the Son of God. But before we get there, I want, I want to call your attention to what's happening here. The Bible says that at that time Mary got ready. ready the next verse there, 39. Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. See, here's what I think is happening. Mary has been given this great promise, this thing that she's going to have a son and it will be the son of the most high God and she just can't wait. She needs to talk to somebody. And so she couldn't post it. She had to go talk to somebody in person. Yeah, there's this thing where you actually talk to people face to face. You see the, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's not, it's not Facebook Live or Snapchat. It's like in person. Like you, you touch their face. Oh, it's real. And Mary couldn't wait. That's what I think. Mary couldn't wait. And so she went down there to, to visit her cousin. And as I read the rest of the stories, we're going to read in just a second. It struck me how odd it was because 
Maybe in your life, you've had someone, I don't know if it went down like this, but have you ever known someone in your life, maybe a friend or even a relative, who always, is always trying to one-up you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had someone in your life when you're like, oh, guess what? You know, uh, I got a promotion. Like, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, check it out. I got a car. Oh, you got a car? Oh, me too. <laughs> I had a friend like that uh, uh, when I was young where, like, I couldn't say anything. He was like, oh, yeah, me too, and better. And I don't know if that's exactly how it went down, but that's how I read the story. Check it out. The Bible says that, that, that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. She just can't wait. She has to talk to somebody about the news. And she comes in and she enters in and she's going to be like, hey, hey, guess what? Mary's like, I'm pregnant. Elizabeth is like, me too. And she says, no, no, no. It's, it's not like that. It's a, it's a miracle. She's like, yeah, me too. No, you don't understand. An angel came from God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The angel. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a secret. Because I, I haven't been with, 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 you know, with Joseph. It's, it's like it's impossible. I know. For nothing is impossible with God. Look. And I'm already six months in. Can you imagine that? Me too. No, we don't say that. I, I have found favor with God. But, but Elizabeth already said, God has shown me his favor. She coined the phrase already before this story even started. It's there in chapter 1. Mary must have been frustrated. But Elizabeth says to her, listen, when, when you came in the room, the baby in my womb jumped. It leaped. It knew. It sensed. Something was happening. The Bible says that Elizabeth was also filled with the Holy Spirit. It also overshadowed her and it came upon her. And she spoke in a loud voice, verse 42, and she said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you were bare. Blessed are you, blessed is the child that you were bare. And so we know there from the book of Luke from the very beginning that Jesus... And John the Baptist, who was introduced there, were going to be related. And that each of them had a story to tell. And from a young age, their parents' responsibility was to help them recognize their identity and to grow into that purpose. That John had a, a role, a specific calling, and so did Jesus. But the Bible tells us nothing about their young lives except what we read last week about Jesus getting lost in the temple. We read in chapter 2 of the book of Luke, you can flip through there, and we're in verse 41, that Jesus and his family went to Jerusalem, and when he was about 12 years old, he got left behind in the sanctuary. Remember the story? Those who, Yes, anybody? No? Nobody? Okay, yes. Okay, if you were here last week, we talked about it. Jesus got left in the sanctuary. He was, he was all about the church. Jesus got left in the sanctuary, and his parents uh, did what they were supposed to do, did the festivals, the rituals, and they were off, and they forgot or didn't pay attention. And about a day's journey, they were traveling about a day's journey when they finally recognized, hey, you have Jesus? I thought you had Jesus. Wait, I thought he was with you. Um, parents, anybody? <laughs> anybody with me then? You look at your spouse, you're like, he wasn't with me. I thought it was you. Uh, usually in our family, it goes something like this. He's your son or uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> 
And that's what they did. They started like panicking. The Bible tells us they returned. They returned. They traveled back and began to look for him. The Bible tells us there in chapter 2 that after three days they found Jesus. Three days. Twelve years old. That's a long time to be alone. I don't know. We talked about this last week. I don't know what Jesus was doing. How did he eat? Where did he sleep? Did somebody say, come here, little boy. You can stay with us. I don't know. It just sounds weird. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> but the Bible tells us that three days later, they find him in the church. That means they were in Jerusalem. They journeyed, they journeyed back. They were in Jerusalem looking all over. They couldn't find him. And when they finally find him, when we read this last week, they come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, Jesus, what is wrong with you? Because everybody knows that when a child gets lost, it's their fault. And Mary says to him, why have you treated us this way? Why did you do this to us? Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus says, I don't know why. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? Jesus had been growing up with a tremendous amount of pressure. Can you imagine being told from a young age that you were going to be the son of the most high and that your kingdom would never end? Well, it's a, you know, it's a funny thing coming from a five-year-old. I'm going to be king someday. You're like, oh, that's so cute. But as you get older, it starts being cute. It starts being annoying. But Jesus carried this weight of pressure, knowing that he had a place and a purpose by understanding his purpose. He says to his mom and dad, you should have known where I would be because I am about my father's business. I was meant to be in my father's house. This is what I was born for. This is who I am. And if you discover your purpose, it will give clarity to your pressure. And we'll turn it into your passion. If you understand why you are and why God made you this way, you can step into that reality and begin to live it and claim it passionately. But if you don't, as we discussed last week, it will become your prison. Doing something that you don't know why. Woo. Doing something that you don't understand or can't explain. Jesus responded to the pressure with purpose. And he's there in the sanctuary and he says, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I marveled at this because he was 12 years old, but he's already so self-aware. He was 12 years old and he was so self-aware. He understood who he was and he was stepping in. And the Bible tells us in that story that as he began to talk and as he began to share and as he began to ask questions, people were amazed, amazed at this 12-year-old's understanding. And the Bible describes there what we talked about last week at the very end, that when Jesus left that temple, he began to grow in stature. Yes, because he was just 12. He had a way to go. But he began to grow in favor with God and with men. He began to grow in favor with God and men. And what that means is that essentially Jesus began to grow in influence. There were more and more people who would support him and believe in him and care about him. He would grow in his ability to command respect and attention. He would grow into leadership. And so you would think, you would think that Jesus was ready The way the Bible describes that exchange, you would think that Jesus being self-aware and being passionate and increasing in favor would then naturally step into a more important and public role, except that he doesn't. He doesn't. The Bible remains silent after that. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was up to in his teenage years? 
Have you ever wondered what Jesus was like when his voice changed and he was awkward and gangly? Oh, you don't think he was? You think he went from 12 to 30-year-old bearded man like overnight? The Bible remained silent for about 18 years of Jesus' life. What did he do all those years? Ever ask yourself? What was he up to? Just making chairs and his father's carpet? I, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense of, uh, that a 12-year-old so self-aware, knowing that he had a plan and a purpose, I'm about my father's business, does nothing for the next 18. It doesn't make sense. And why the Bible stays silent on that? But a very similar thing has taken place over yonder with his cousin. The Bible describes him in Matthew. You know the one. They call him the Baptist. The book of Matthew <clears throat> says that in the same way, in the same way that uh, Jesus kind of grew up in favor with God and man, but in anonymity, the same thing happened uh, to John the Baptist because even though Elizabeth knew that the baby in her womb was also from the Holy Spirit, was also given by God, was also a miracle, even though she had had the same uh, responsibility of raising him to believe this about himself, the Bible says he did nothing until he was a fully grown man. We read there in Luke that, that in the 15th year of the reign of, of, of Tiberius, that, that would have been like 27 years later from the birth. So the Bible basically says that John the Baptist did nothing for 27 years other than just grow up. Can you believe that? And this is the first thing that the Bible says. Look, chapter 3, book of Matthew. I'll just read it to you. You don't have to go there. Here goes. This is what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. This is how the Bible introduces him. Fully formed and fully grown, he does nothing. It doesn't discuss his childhood. doesn't discuss his, his training in any kind. It just says one day, one day, and it came to pass, and he just happened. I love the description of John. You've probably read it or heard it before. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Then John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. John was the original hipster. He had fancy clothes, wore that nice big fat belt, and had a gluten-free diet. Beard, probably wore those fake speckles. I don't know. And a hat. The Bible says that he showed up on a scene and he was different. He wasn't like everyone else. And he began to preach and he began to speak and he began to say certain things like repent. Back in Luke chapter 3, the Bible says that in the 15th year of the, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, that's 27 years later after the birth. The Bible says that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the desert. And he went into all the country preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I want you to catch that because as a, as a boy, John also had the weight and the pressure. He knew he was born to an old woman. He knew he was a miracle. But he had to wait for the word of God. He had to wait. How good are you at waiting? John had to wait for the word of God and then it finally came. Some 27 years later, the word of God came to John and then he began to preach. 
And he began to speak and he began to call people to repentance and to a baptism. This is what the Bible says. Look at this. John, I mean, Luke chapter 3, verse 7. And John said to the crowds that were coming out, You brutal vipers. Was that the best way to welcome new church members? But um, this is how John does it. <laughs> Hello, welcome, you brutal vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. John is coming in. He shows up at the time and he begins to speak with authority. Why? Because he waited for the word of God. And when the word of God came, it gave him authority. This is what we've been learning on our campus. You cannot, you cannot know God and and follow God apart from the word of God. It is his one trusted record of his character and has been given to us. And we do ourselves a disservice if we just put it on the shelf and think that we can live for God without the word of God. There could be no authority other than the one he's already given. John had to wait. How good are you at waiting? John had to wait. And in the waiting, God was preparing his heart. So when the word of God came to John, John said, all right, let's go. You brood of vipers. They don't teach us how to say that in the seminary, by the way. They don't, that's, that's not what they say. But in the school of John, that's how it is. You brood of vipers. Look, this is what he says. Produce fruit. He's not inviting anyone. Yeah, come back next week. You know, get settled in. Have some coffee. He's like, produce fruit. Or... <laughs> or, he says, the axe is already at the root, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down. This fire and brimstone, John. Camel hair and all. And he begins to speak to people who, like many of us, know God, a historical God, but they don't believe in a living God. And these people, these Jews, they consider themselves the sons of Abraham. And they believe that because they had grown up in the church, because they had this historical relationship, that's all that they needed. We're the children of Abraham. We go to church. We're Adventists. Have been, third, fourth, fifth generation. And John says, do you know that God can make children out of these stones? You know what he's saying there? Saying these stones, <laughs> these stones are more alive than you. If that's what you think God is about. God is not about history. God's about the present. Your present and your future. And he says to them, these stones can become children. But no, no, no. He says, you repent. Repent and be baptized. And the Bible tells us they spoke with authority. He spoke with authority and the, and the crowd was moved. And then it said, well, what should we do? And John said, the man with two tunics should share with the one who has none. And the one who has food should share with the one who doesn't have food. What should we do? I thought all we needed to do was come to church and claim that we're Adventists. And John says, unless your actions back that up, then change your name. If you have more than enough, or if you just have two, give to the one who has none. To the tax collectors, they said, what should we do? He said, don't collect them more than you're required to. It is, it's not like a, a, a secret here. Don't cheat. It shouldn't be anyway. And yet, how many of us are dishonest in this month of April? To the soldiers, they came and they said, what should we do? And he said, don't extort money. Don't accuse falsely. Be content with your pay. Quit grumbling. Be grateful. 
Receive what's been given to you and enjoy that. And the people heard this. Listen, the people heard this. Stick with me, all right? The people heard this and they began to say, wow, could he be? This is what it says. The people were like expectantly waiting and wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. You see, because there's the one thing we know about the Jewish people that is to then as it is now. They are people of waiting. So the Jewish people had been waiting already for hundreds of years for a deliverer. The Old Testament promised a star will rise. The Old Testament promised. And it was said that, that there would be deliverance, that there would be a savior. And they were waiting and waiting and watching and expecting. But after you wait for a long time, sometimes you stop believing that things are going to take place. Amen. Sometimes you give up hope. But they were accustomed to, and when John began to speak this way, they said, maybe he's the Christ. And then John sees that, and he answers this. And I love his answer. He says, I baptize you with water. Something new at the time there. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His windwind fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John says, I'm here to do my job, but after me comes another more powerful than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And with fire. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit here on our campus the last, the last month or so. We're trying to understand the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We just sang the song. But too many of us think that the Holy Spirit is like some nebulous force that is here to help us accomplish our goals and our tasks. And that's just not what it is. It's not an it. It is a he. It is a person of God. The Holy Spirit is God with us now. In the same way that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus became God with us then, the Bible says through Jesus' own words that when he left, he would send us another, a counselor, that he would send the Holy Spirit to take his place. He would no longer be here physically, but the Holy Spirit would be here presently with you, with me. God with us. He lives in you. He is with you. He is for you. But he's a he. He's God. That's some trivial force that can be manipulated. And John says, when Jesus comes, he will give you the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And you know what happens next? Jesus shows up. A full 30 years later after he's been born. John's been preaching this for about three years. Baptizing people with his camel hair and his gluten-free diet. And Jesus shows up. And the Bible says there, chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. The book of Matthew tells us that, that Jesus approached and John said, no, wait, wait, what are you doing? He recognized him. Even though he had not seen him, the Holy Spirit helped him to recognize him. And he said, no, 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 you, you have nothing to repent you shouldn't be baptized. I should be baptized by you. But Jesus leans in and he says, no, let us do this because it is right to do. See, Jesus responds to the pressure upon his life. Jesus responds to the increasing favor by doing the right thing. He does not use the favor of God for his own ends. 
It is the favor of God that propels him to do more things for the sake of God. And Jesus does this by choosing to do the right things. So he says to John, no, 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 no. Let me get baptized because it is the right thing to do. You see, here's what you have to understand, friends. The only way Jesus can do this is that in the, in the 18 years or so that he's waiting, Jesus is preparing. Jesus is preparing. See, because I think every one of us is waiting for something and we need to take our cues from Jesus, our leader. He had been told he was the son of the most high God. There was evidence, there was proof. People were proclaiming his name at 12 years old, but he had to wait just like John had to wait. And while he was waiting, he was preparing. He was anticipating. And in the right moment, God moved upon him and he said, it's time to move. See, here's what we're learning, friends. We're learning that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this transforming encounter where we renew our trust with God and we yield to God. We follow Him rather than what we want. And this is what Jesus is exemplifying because if I had been in His shoes, I would have tried to be in the Son of the Most High God a lot sooner. Amen? Can you imagine, listen, listen, can you imagine waiting your entire 20s and doing nothing about the fact that you're the Son of God? Your entire 20s. I know we got some 20-year-olds in here. Can't wait till tonight. Can you imagine waiting a whole decade? And Jesus waited because he's yielding. He's yielding to God. And when the time comes, he exercises that training by moving in the direction of God. We learned also that what faith actually means, it is these things, this is a quick review for those of you that are part of a church community. Faith means believing what God has said, choosing to trust him, and then gaining confidence in his will so you can yield to it, so you can do what he says rather than what you intend to do. And what we see here in the person of Jesus and what we see here as our template is that when you begin to trust, you must also obey. When the word of God came to John, just like when the word of God came to Jesus, he needed to act. That's why these two are always so closely linked. Trust and sing the song, right? Trust and obey. The author that I've been reading there, Robertson McQuilkin, says that the difference between hesitant, apprehensive faith and sinful unbelief occurs at the point of choice. See, all of us want faith. All of us want power. All of us want favor. But we're unwilling to choose. He says the critical evidence of faith is obedience. So if you're asking yourself, if you're looking at your life and you're thinking, I have a calling, I'm meant to do something, God is supposed to do stuff for me, doors are supposed to be open, the critical evidence of faith is obedience. Are you actually willing to do what he said you should do? What he asks you to do? And trust me, you will not obey him in the big things if you will disobey him in the little things. It just does not work that way. You will never be a hero that day when your life is on the line if you can't be a hero today Saturday afternoon April 8, 2017 by withholding your feet from breaking the Sabbath did I just step on your toes? Trust and obey. The critical evidence of faith is obedience, but there is a great balance there. It is neither all obedience, because the Bible tells us that we cannot earn our salvation, but neither is it all just waiting. 
and asking God to do things he told you to do. Some of us choose just to wait and say, okay, God, you said you have a plan and a purpose. You said you're going to do this. Well, I'm waiting. But friends, the waiting that Jesus is doing here, that, that John is doing, and the one that I'm inviting you to is a waiting with anticipation. The expectation that God will come a calling and that when he comes, you need to be ready. See, because a lot of us, especially those of us that are young, and I'm talking to you all, friends, those of us that are young feel uh, the energy of youth and the creativity that's around you, and you want to get out there, you want to do stuff, especially this generation that want to change the world. But if we move out ahead of God, we will not do things for God. If we try to get ahead of God's movement, it is not at the word of God, but at our own word. Christine Kane says it this way. She says, the gift that is on you will destroy you if what's in you can't sustain you. She says, the spotlight is the greatest killer. If you want to get out and do things for God, if you want to claim, if you want to lead worship, if you want to uh, become ministry leader, if you want to make a difference in your community, but what is in you can't sustain the gifting, it will crush you. So the waiting is where God develops you, your character and who you are. And that's why I implore for you to wait with anticipation. At the right time, when the word of God comes, Jesus steps in 30 years later into his public ministry and he goes down into the waters. You know the story. He goes down into the waters and as he goes to the baptism, not one that he needed, but one that he chose to obey. The Bible says that the heavens opened and a dove descended. And when this dove descended, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, the heavens spoke. And they said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Don't you want someone to say that about you? Wouldn't it be amazing to have the heavens open today and to hear those words about you? This is my daughter. This is my daughter. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. See, here's what we know about each other. Here's what's true about you. The Bible says that you were planned in the mind of God long before you existed. You were knitted together. The Bible says that God has plans and you are not here by accident, but you exist because God in his foreknowledge wanted you to be here and he wanted you for himself because he loved you long before you were. That's the truth about us. But it's so hard to believe because we have been caught in this, 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 this weird trap of wanting to prove and wanting to do and wanting to earn. And once we get tired of the, of the wheel of spirituality, we just give up and say, okay, fine, God, you do it all. But it's neither. It's rather both. Jesus steps into with obedience and the blessing of God comes. The favor was already there. He was increasing in favor from the time he was born through his teenage years, through his 20s. The favor of God was upon him because he was waiting with expectation. He believed something about himself and he said, someday God will come calling. And when he comes, I will say, yes, let us do this. Is that you today? Are you waiting 
Do you know? Do you understand the call that is on your life? I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's as simple as being a good father to break the chains of bad fathers in your family's history. Maybe the call upon you is to be a faithful wife, to undo the damage and the hurt that's been laid upon your family's history. Maybe the call upon your heart is to be a good student so that you can inspire others that are around you that don't know what it's like and don't know its value. Maybe the call upon your life is deeper and greater and further than that. Maybe you are meant to sacrifice something big, something significant. And you are waiting. If you're waiting today, I promise you this, God will call you. And the time might be now where you've got to obey and you got to step forward into righteousness and down into baptismal waters. And when you take that small step, long before you actually do anything, God will announce, you are my son, because you've always been a son. Do you notice that? Jesus steps into public ministry and he doesn't say anything yet. He hasn't spoken a word. And God says, I am well pleased. See, friends, this Christian life is not about what we can accomplish to earn God's love. It's not about what we can do to get it. We already have it. It's about what we will do with his love. God looks at you with pleasure. God looks at you with pleasure. When he sees you, he doesn't see not what you did or what you're going to do. He sees you and he loves you fully. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he wants you to move into this next season of your life with the favor of God, knowing that he is pleased with you. Some of you are right there right now. Some of you are ready to step into this, this season. I know y'all are getting ready to go. Mel and Maureen are going to be gone for years in the mission field. You're stepping in and you don't know what's on the other side. That may be true for you at home. Maybe true for you at school. You don't know what's on the other side. And trust me, the other, on the other side of, uh, of Jesus, the step of faith is nothing but that cross. And I promise you that if you step into it, the favor and the pleasure of God will only increase. For what he calls to be, he provides for. What he has planned and destined for, he provides for. And if, if he's planned and destined for you and he has, he will provide for you. I want you... And you to move into God's call because you are God's son, because you are God's daughter. Never to become, in order to become, you already are. I want you to move into it and claim it. Because when you finally, and I finally understand that we are God's son, then nothing can shake it from our hands. Nothing can take it from his grasp. It is kingdom eternal. It reigns forever and ever because God is forever and ever and his purposes for you are eternal. The mission may be temporary. The assignment may be short-lived. But God is eternal and your worth is secure in his eternity. So he's asking you to trust and he's asking you to believe. He's asking you to step into his favor. It's already on you. I promise you that. He already believes you, believes your worth. That's not at stake. 
Your salvation is not a stake in his heart. He has already given it to you. He has already paid the price. All that he wants for you now is to receive it, hold it tightly, and move forward into that call. If you're at the point of choice, then choose God today. Choose your Father. I'm going to invite the band to come up here and sing this last song as we close our time together. And I want you all to recognize, I want you to recognize that there are voices in your life and people in your life who have spoken untruths about you. There are people in your life and voices in your life who have said untruths about you. That maybe you don't deserve the position that you're in. That you're not good enough or trustworthy enough to carry the burden that's been laid upon you. There are some who don't believe you make a good father. Or a good worker. Or a good Christian. They have some that have told you to try harder and, and do more. I want you to know what God says about you. God says you are worth it all. And that he would pay any price for you. To redeem your life and yours alone. And that you have found favor in his eyes. He's smiling down upon you now as you sit here in this room. In all of heaven's storehouses of blessing. And all of heaven's resources and power and affirmation are waiting to be poured over you. We just have to step in and trust. The act of faith may even be small. It might be picking up that phone today, later today, and calling the one he's laid upon your heart to call. It might be canceling a subscription to something that God has said, let that go. It might, the step of faith might be small, but the reward will be eternal, not just for you, but all those who will come after you in your family, at your workplaces, in your places of influence. God wants it all, but he's willing to give you all. And he invites us now to follow him with everything, with everything. So as a statement of faith, as a small step of trust and obedience, would you rise to your feet and join your voices with ours and praise God and say with everything, with everything.